Introducing Mortgage Matters. He has no idea how bad it is out there. He has no idea. A show dedicated to helping you navigate a challenging and ever-changing financial and real estate landscape. The economy continues to face numerous difficulties. Now, your hosts, Dan Podesto and Jason Brody of Central Coast Lending. The fact that you're being called upon to help clean up Wall Street's mess is an outrage. Broadcasting outrage. live from the KVEC studios in San Luis Obispo. What economy are you talking about? Talking it's about time for Mortgage Matters. Hey, good morning, everybody. Welcome to Mortgage Matters. It's the uh, bang. We're already getting into the middle of October here. I've seen Christmas decorations out at the store, some Halloween stuff. Kids are getting costumes. We're getting ready. Was feeling very summery earlier in the week, and today feels quite folly. When you say fall, e. is yeah. that a word? Sure, okay. um, not in the context that I just used it in. <laughs> I don't think that's a word. Yeah. Oh yeah, folly. <laughs> I mean folly, but okay, folly. Yeah. All right, but yeah. all right, like Seward's folly. I'll give that to you. Right. Yeah, yeah. but but you can feel anything <laughs> e. You know, <laughs> or ish, or ish. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you can even feel like folly ish. Yeah, if you sure. want to, you can do both. It's fun. Oh boy! <laughs> hey, I, I just want mortgage matteries right now. Mor- yeah. Mortgage matters ish. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm <laughs> definitely feeling matters ish right now, and uh, mortgagee. Right. Yeah. Hey, we want to thank all the folks who've stuck around from uh, listening to Motor Mouse. I was listening as I drove in. I find the show very interesting. I learn a lot. You know, at the very end, they were talking about bikes and the different kinds of the lights, the strobe lights that the folks use on their bikes, which I've noticed. Um, I started wondering, just like cars come standard with lights, why don't bikes come standard with lights built into them? Why That's is it question. some add-on? I mean, bike safety is such a big issue. Mm-hmm. Um People are, are a lot of people are biking to work or biking around town now. Why don't they just make it part of the bike equipment? It seems like it should be at a minimum should be a law, you know, that everybody have those lights on. I'll tell you if it's a law, why not just make it part of it? I mean, it's like taking lights away from cars and then making it be a law that your car has lights. Yeah, it should just build it in. Then no one has to like think about the extra cost, it's just part of buying a bike. I think today more than ever with people so distracted while they drive, and if it, and I'm going to argue that it's not just your um, it's not just your texting and driving that's problematic. I mean that's definitely a problem, but people are you know doing the things they've always done, eating, drinking, brushing your teeth, shaving, yeah, putting on makeup. Uh, I see it all, and just I think also cars are so much more fancy now inside. There's more to look at. There's more gadgets and. Bluetooths and everything going on. Um, if you're going to be on the road, make yourself as visible as possible. I mean, there's still I I like to believe I pay pretty close attention. I'm driving along um, and see somebody at the very last minute and think, man, I was so close to ruining both of our lives because you're wearing all gray at dusk, riding you know over there or walking over there. Uh, be more visible. Maybe uh, we could start a fund where we'll we'll distribute bike lights to those people. You could just stop and grab one for free. Hey, we've got a call already. Got Pete calling from San Luis Obispo. Welcome to the show, Pete. 
Hi. Amazing. I was listening to Motor Mouth. They were talking about this and then put the phone down, pick it up. Still talking about it. It's just a hot topic right now. So uh, I have a comment about bike lights and LEDs in general. Um, and I, I don't think anybody ever talks about this, but sometimes they're extremely annoying. They're too bright, often too high. And um, that's my main comment. Um, that the lights on the helmet, lights on the bike, if they're aimed up high... Yeah, and I th I think the same could be said. Yeah, some some cars, you know, a lot of a lot of folks with with cars or trucks that do aftermarket yeah, yeah. lighting, they can be extremely bright. They can be angled in the wrong direction. Yep. So yeah, that's that's important we're whether it's a car or uh, houses. Now we're seeing them all over, and, and I think they're too much. Now I'm I'm beginning to miss the old sort of deadpan soft yellow standard lights we used to have that often. Those, they threw out light. Those energy you're supposed gulpers. To put out light so you can see where you're going, not necessarily blind everybody who's coming at you. Right. Yeah. Point and that's well what's taken. happening now with LEDs, and people are real slobs at the way they aim them. Right. <laughs> Thanks, Pete. Um, there are some new cars, Dan, you mentioned aftermarket night. There are new cars on the road that, uh, when I look at them at night, they, I can tell they have like led taillights or something. And I, my wife says this doesn't happen to her. So I, I hear I'm going to expose myself here on radio land. Um, you know how you scan the road from left to right forward and back, and you're just constantly looking all around. There are certain kinds of red, like taillights that when I look across them, I almost see like a tracer of them, like mm. couple sets, and it's very, I mean, and I got to imagine that there's either something wrong with me and I'm totally unique that I have that, or something with, you know, about certain people, I don't know what it could be, but it that's very distracting and I think dangerous, and uh, my wife says I'm crazy, though. it's just me. No, I don't think you're crazy, I see it once in a while. Do you? Mm-hmm. I noticed, like, especially on, like, the really new Cadillacs where they're, like, those really bright LEDs that are kind of in a line around the taillight. When I look at that and, like, look away, I'll see it kind of, like, chatter off into the horizon. Like, it's uh, uh, just weird. I always feel like that's just tired eye or something like that. Like, for me. But I'll, I'll notice, though, at night when driving, I'll see cars with what I would consider traditional brake lights. And maybe those ones like in the mix if someone's passing or something. And those those new ones really do um, they cause me like trouble. And hmm. I I have good vision. I had LASIK, man. I can see well. So I don't know. Kind of freaky. Food for thought, anyway. Make we just need cars well. and bikes that drive themselves, so that we just don't have to think about all that stuff. <laughs> like on Wally, -E, we can just sit yeah. down in the little chair in the thing, and that just would solve all the problems. Yeah. All right. That'd be one way to do it. Oh, boy. Um, what a wild week in terms of uh, the stock market. Just the volatility feels like that's a new theme. It's back. And now I know it is because we're talking about it. This yeah. is the third week now. What's old is new again. Yeah. it's <laughs> it's Remember remember those days, um, you know, just after the probably during and just after the the housing crash the the mortgage meltdown volatility i mean every day was a triple di digit mover one or way or the other yeah that's yeah. kind of what this week was like again that's what it reminded me of yeah pretty wild and you know i the dow ended up uh 
I didn't see what the final closing was, but it was back around 16.5. And, and I set out on a mission to see who clearly defined why. You know, when I, when I set up all my notes this week to look at what happened within the markets and what might happen and whether it was a good time to lock or not, uh, what I found was this week was kind of a snoozer for economic data. I mean, and not kind of a snoozer. It was like a full-blown snoozer. We had uh, on Wednesday the Fed's full release of their uh, meeting minutes, okay? So we've really already got time to hear and digest the statement about uh, what it is the Fed's, uh, you know, think is afoot if things are changing, getting better, getting worse, things to worry about, um, those kinds of things. Um, so we already had a pretty good idea of how the Fed's felt about it. Meeting minutes, nothing too spectacular. Uh, what became the theme this week, I think, for some of that volatility is just the, uh, the Fed's and other little uh, pieces of the media cluing us in that the global economy is perhaps in worse shape than we thought. Yeah, that seems to be the real driver of, of volatility. It seems like, on one hand, there's news that that our our national economy is you know getting better, but then the globe, but then there's news coming out that the global economy is is maybe going the opposite direction. And so, because of those opposing forces, you've got one day you've got some positive news here on our home turf that leads to some pretty. Um, pretty big moves higher in stocks and then the next day you have the the global news that sends them the other way what i found really interesting was we had our best day in the stock market all year long this week followed by our worst day of the year in the stock market the very next day time to make a purchase in your volatility index <laughs> buy yourself the volatility index it's got to be a great time to do so yeah i just think it's so wild um, it, it honestly, for me, I end up, I kind of set back on those days, like where we end up a couple hundred points down and the next day we're already heading for a couple hundred points up. And I'm looking and thinking, are the traders just so childish in this that all you want is just to run the stuff back up? And why is it that whatever was such terrible news yesterday We've not only completely forgotten, but accepted and are now back pushing it ahead. Uh, it well, remember, so much of this market volatility was occurring prior to the Fed um, TARP programs. And it was it was that TARP money and the, the various bailouts, all that all that money that moved into the market that really stabilized everything. It, it, it created some predictability in in the markets. And now we're approaching that deadline here, or that that uh, the time when not a deadline, but just the the time that the Fed has let us know that they're going to stop participating in mortgage-backed securities and Treasuries purchases. Um, so we're back to that period of of unpredictability. What what is our economy looking like? What is the global economy looking like? And you know, it's it's mixed again. So we're back in that mode of volatility and. And from what I'm reading, what I'm hearing is that most of the the investors on Wall Street are, are anticipating that this is going to be the norm, at least for the foreseeable future right now, because of the unpredictability of Just exciting of ups and downs. I don't know that exciting is the right word, but it's just that lack of, of, of having some predictability in the markets that, you know, that 
missing that leads to lower interest rates, which we're seeing again. You know, the rates have moved back down to those recent what 18 month lows or so, um, and the stocks are starting to become really volatile. Right. So this could be the way it goes forward. You know, there I picked up on an article out of the Associated Press this week. It was a there's some quotes here from a investment chief investment officer at Wells Fargo Private Bank saying that. He's likening this to a, just a market correction, that it's been since 2011, since we've had a real market correction. Over the last three years, investors have joined fairly turbulent free markets, you know, just the double digit gains and losses every day. And for the most part, everything's been steadily rising higher. Um, and we haven't had a real correction since August of 2011. And a correction is defined as a market pullback of 10% or more. So that's what this particular person's predicting is is that we're beginning a correction. So we might see more declines in stocks. Um, the message to anyone with money in in various markets is just stick with your plan. Don't do anything like pull your money out. And you know we saw people do that, and that didn't work out so well. Well, from the Dow at seventeen thousand, a ten percent correction is going to be sure. 1700 right? And we're getting kind of close to that. It was uh, we're, we're at 16.5. 16, 16, so you'd, you'd have I to mean, drop down to like 15, three-ish to... We're, to we're, we're heading there. That's what I'm saying. I think so. I don't know. I mean, it, it. part of it seems to make sense to me and part of it seems disconnected and I don't understand why. Um, first and foremost, I always was taught and under the understanding that the stock market and what goes into the stock market has to do with investors and the perceived profits of the company that they buy stock in. So absent of the Fed right now, buying mortgage-backed securities and treasuries, I don't understand how that is is returning this volatility into the actual stocks is that thought to affect the profitability of these companies so you definitely see the overall the the reality is i think that we're separated fundamentally enough it makes me feel like these things are overvalued and it's all of that fear because they're overvalued nobody's confident in the investment based on profitability of the company so when something happens where everybody's just skittish i mean it's like being uh in a crowd of everyone just waiting for total pandemonium some little click happens over in the corner it's recorded as shots fired and people scatter that's all i can think when we see the stock market do this stuff because then the next day you go oh yeah remember yesterday's panic sell where um some lost all uh not today it's we're back up 200 points and i just it makes me it undermines the full credibility of the setup for me to see it function in that way and one of the things i'll say about um the stock market and i do have some money in the stock market but uh woohoo when that puppy crashes i love it when it goes down um and maybe not crash i like it when the stock market has those little corrections and those sell-offs because that's where we see the price improvements come over into what we do for a living um and you know one of the one of the problems is is that when the stock market is going up a strong day where it's just like, hey, look at the strength of the stock market today. 
Um, we see interest rates for mortgages get worse immediately and then a few times. Then we'll have some days where there's a sell-off in the stock market and we'll even see the bond yields um, dropping and interest rates should be pinned to that and dropping too. And then what we find is, no, interest rates never got better today. Hey, hopefully they will tomorrow. So it's frustrating for me that we see it. Sometimes um, they tie well together. Sometimes they're not. Um, they'll always go up quick and they're slow to come down. So it's just, I, I'm over here. If you guys, if you guys want to know what side of the fence I'm on, I'm on the side that's rooting for the, um, I'm rooting for low bond yields. That's, <laughs> that's what I want. Hey guys, it's 921 right now. So we're going to go ahead and do the first commercial break here. Take some time out to thank the sponsors. When we get back from the break, we'd love to hear from you. If you've got a question or a comment, give us a call here at the studio, 543-8830. Stick around after this short break for more Mortgage Matters. Don't go anywhere. Keep it locked to Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. To ask a question, call 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. We'll be back in just a few minutes. The state of denial is a drag and a trial. When I bought my cheap insurance, should have known this day would come. Now I've had an accident and I'm feeling quite alone. Called them at least 20 times, but they won't pick up the phone. Without personal service, my policy's kind of worthless. Get to a better state, State Farm. Switch to State Farm and you can save. To find out more in San Luis Obispo, call Agent Susan Rodriguez. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley & Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley & Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley & Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. Hi, this is Jason Grody at Central Coast Lending, host of Mortgage Matters on KVEC. Let me and my staff of mortgage experts help you refinance your home or investment property. Lower your rate, shorten your loan term, or get out of your mortgage insurance. Call Central Coast Lending today. When you buy or refinance a home, just call 543-LOAN. Just call 543-LOAN. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. You're tuned in to Mortgage Matters, which airs every Saturday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Your hosts, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending, want you to join the conversation by calling 800-549-5832. Now, back to the show. For my monster from his slab began to 
All right, guys, welcome back to Mortgage Matters. Thanks so much for being with us. Oh, boy. I was wondering what, what to talk about next. I figured, heck, I'll just open up my notes and see what I have in there. Um, I was going to throw out a little reminder to the listeners that it was a slow news week this week, so it's a great day to ask questions or share any comments you might have. You can call in at any time during the show today, 543-8830, 543-8830, if you want to get it on the air. I... um. I was talking to a friend this week. I went and had sushi with a, a realtor, and um, we were just kind of catching up. And conversation was fun about um, things at work that make you feel good about what you do. And uh, I had a couple experiences recently that um, I thought I'd share because they they were very cool. Um, one is... Uh, a couple that I helped with a reverse mortgage about two years ago. And uh, this was kind of a fun one. Um, and I know they they at least listened to the radio show at one time. So if they're listening now, um, maybe they'll be interested in the way I'll retell the story. But I got a call one day from this guy who, um, he is elderly, uh, definitely of retirement age, but still being active at work and said that... Um, he was he was pretty upset honestly he was about 15 years older than his wife and his pension he had been the bread earner and you know th through their whole marriage and his pension would stop when he died and knowing that they always planned on having the house paid off and she would end up with the larger, you know, social security benefit that he had, but, but kind of that's it. And they, they knew within the budget that if the house was paid off, they weren't going to, um, that she was going to be okay when, when he passed away. And he called, uh, it was completely evident to him and everyone they talked to that the house was not going to be paid off. And, um, was, pretty upset about it. I mean, he literally used the words that I've failed my wife. And I thought that's a, that's a tough thing. And I get, we have some real sober conversations in my office at time, but these are some of the ones that are the most poignant. And, uh, so anyways, we just kind of started wading through it and trying to figure out what the options were. And these guys had some equity, um, not enough to sell and buy a house with no mortgage that would suit their needs and just could really see how frustrated they were. And so I said, well, have you ever considered a reverse mortgage? And, and so as we got talking about that, um, both were quite resistant to the idea in the beginning, primarily because they had an idea that a reverse mortgage would end up, um, somehow or other they would lose their house at some point or if they lived too long or whatever didn't just not understanding it so went on to kind of dispel all of the myths about the reverse mortgage and we as a group agreed that it was a pretty good fit for these guys because um it was going to stop the mortgage payment which was like 2500 bucks a month um and stop it now while he's still alive and um basically one of the one of the things to think about here in terms of reverse mortgage is um, that quality of life is you're you're not doing this because you don't want to 
bleed your house of equity or leave less for your heirs or something, but you get your pension for 4,000 bucks and you turn around and hand 2,500 of it over to the mortgage company and you're still left with that discretionary income, that disposable income of 1,500 bucks, what are you gonna do with it? Usually eat and buy gas and pay utilities and everything. So in this case, it's like, your pension's not gonna change. You're gonna have that cash and instead of paying the mortgage with it, you could actually put some money in the bank. You could you know, travel more, maybe go see the kids and grandkids and do these things that, that these guys weren't very able to do. Um, and wife had grand uh, ideas of traveling abroad and all this stuff and that wasn't their reality. Uh, but anyways, they ended up doing the reverse mortgage and um, and I caught word recently that they were they were traveling and they were enjoying life and they were no longer stressed about it. Um, and he has this peace of mind that when he passes away, the um, his wife isn't going to have to move out of the house because she can't afford it. And um, so I ended up with another couple in my office this week that are that are contemplating a reverse mortgage, much for the same reason, just getting older and not. This particular guy's a self-employed guy. He's just getting harder to work and harder to keep up with everything and harder to keep making that mortgage payment. And um, so we started talking reverse mortgage. And it just reminded me that uh, especially I think some of the demographic of our, our radio listeners are um, probably some people out there in a position where a reverse mortgage could make some sense to alleviate an awful lot of stress and to get rid of um, having a mortgage payment. And in some cases, you know, if if you have a mortgage payment that you need to make stop and you've got equity and you're over 62, a reverse mortgage can be a good way to accomplish that. If you don't have a mortgage payment, your house is free and clear, but you're struggling financially, can't qualify for a loan, um, and that's usually the case, you're living on a thin income, uh, Reverse mortgage is a great way to get some money to, you know, maybe maybe make some um, upgrades to the house to make it more accessible, to put in a ramp or put in a lift or, you know, put in one of those walk-in bathtubs that are a little bit safer to do those things to, to help yourself out. This is a good way to get your hands on some of that money. And I also don't want to just make it sound like it's all... Um, just for, you know, zapping equity and taking care of things that stress you out or are unsafe or whatever, uh, but just quality of life. Sometimes people get the money. Um, they want to give their grandkids some money while they're going to college and, and or send the whole family on a trip together or do something to enjoy some of that money while you're still alive. And I've seen some great uses of it that way too. Um, we cover an awful lot of topics on the show every now and again. It's important for us to just get down to it and remind everybody um, that we're a mortgage company and we offer a variety of loans. We, we really can do most any loan type if it's related to your uh, residential real estate. And um, so if anybody wants to get uh, a little bit more information about reverse mortgages and, and what it might do for you or how it might change your life, um, we'd love to counsel you on it. One of the other things, too, about reverse mortgage that I think is pretty smart is before you can even apply for it, you got to go meet with a HUD counselor. 
with whoever you own the property with. And oftentimes I think they make you bring uh, like the trustee to your estate or power of attorney, whoever that person is in your life that is going to make important decisions on your behalf that the two or three of you go there together or do it on the phone together to get all the questions answered by somebody that stands to gain nothing. There's no commission involved in that. It's just straight talk about you understanding legally what you're um, getting yourself into, uh, dispelling all the myths. I gotta, I've never sat through one of those because you have to be a reverse mortgage candidate, but I got to imagine it's just full of, um, this isn't true, this isn't true, this isn't true, this is how it really works. Um, but yeah, so anyway, I, I was sharing this with a real estate agent. And I was like, you know, that's pretty cool. There's a lot of things that I do get to do day in and day out. But um, getting that most stressful thing in your life off your plate as you're in your, your golden years there, that's a pretty cool feeling. And to see somebody with that sense of relief of when it's all over is pretty fun. Um, and going back, looking back over my career as a loan originator, I've only done um, of that have actually gone on to close maybe a half a dozen reverse mortgages or something. It's not a huge amount. Um, it's not something that I'm I'm clearly not pushing on people. But um, those half a dozen people that got reverse mortgages, those are some of the freest, happiest people I've seen um, at the end of a loan transaction. They're pretty pumped that after a lifelong struggle of whacking that mortgage payment every month, that thing's done. And it's not because they paid their house off, but because this program exists. And um, that's pretty cool. Yeah, people spend so much time working so hard to pay down that mortgage. And then they have all this equity, but their day-to-day cash flow situation might not be great for them. Well, and as you know, healthcare has gotten very expensive. And um, if you're on uh, Medicare with your supplements and prescription drug plans and all that, um, there are some, it can get expensive quick. Not to mention, imagine if you found yourself in a position of needing some, um, some care where somebody, you know, even if it was just companion care where somebody came into the house and you know, kind of helped you around the house and get maybe to some appointments or whatever. Those things, now you're talking some real money. That stuff gets expensive real quick. And I just know there are people that are really struggling financially um, in that age group that are wishing there was some other option. And if you think you know about reverse mortgages, chances are you misunderstand at least part of it. Um, And so... Oftentimes, the best thing you can do is to um, call us up or come on in and get a little consultation about what it really means. And um, I don't know, it's a good program, and it and it makes me feel good to be able to help people that have those needs. So again, if you guys want to get the straight talk about that, uh, we're always around and able to help. Another. A recent success we had that felt pretty good was helping a young couple get into a house um, with a USDA loan. I think this was mentioned before, but having like five kids and um, kind of a, (laughs) yeah. (laughs) Three three kids, a five-person household. A five-person household, (laughs) my bad. Um, but the, having a five a person Jason household, story. Um, <laughs> well, Jason's kind of a kid, so four, maybe. but, but ultimately really wanting to buy a house, 
for a variety of reasons. And I mean, isn't it still, after all of the dust is settled here, it's still kind of the American dream, isn't it? Definitely. So just to see somebody that um, is hardworking and um, really having to go, as a lender, having to go above and beyond to get all of the details of this transaction nailed out and to know now that that family's moved into their very own home. That's pretty cool stuff. That's very fun. Um, I really like working with those people too. Um, yeah, with those clients in particular, at first blush, you look at their situation and you say, not going to happen. Not going to work. There was a, there were credit issues. There was an issue of household size and the ability to qualify under that USDA loan. Um, but taking time to understand the story, understand, you know, so, you know, we have a situation here where a, a woman had three children in a previous marriage and legally she's awarded, you know, the, the, the dependent or I, I don't even know, is it, is it the tax benefits for, for two of the children while the ex-husband got the tax benefits of one children or one of the, the children on his taxes? But the reality was that ex-husband was not in these children's lives at all. Financially or otherwise. Financially, physically. I mean, yeah, he just was absent. Yeah. Didn't even know where this guy lived. Yet soaking up the benefit of having a dependent on his tax return. And what we needed is that it, because it's based household size, we needed to be able to say that she, for all logical purposes, is the primary care provider for all three of these children and therefore needs to be viewed as a five-person household so that she can get the fifth person in the income cap. And um, again, most lenders would just say, you're out of your mind. In fact, when we went out and shopped this deal at, at the number of banks that we work with, 90% of them said no. Yeah, they said, not no, going to do we it. We can't do Too it. Too complicated. Yeah. Um, but it just goes to show that where there's a will, there's a way generally. And, um, you know, so that those kinds of things are, are fun. Uh, we do kind of, when there's a loan that we believe in, that we're having trouble finding the investor that's willing to, to buy that transaction. Um, uh, we get kind of bulldoggy over it, like running around, um, looking anywhere we can, arguing with people that they should be more open-minded about taking a look at this particular issue. Um, and, you know, I, I could get on my soapbox again right here about how the, the structure of our company, the very, at its very core, why that makes us such a powerful lender. But um, uh, another day, another day. Guys, if you want to ask a question about your scenario, um, you know, everybody seems to have some question about real estate, whether can I get some equity out of my home? Can I buy a second home? Could you, um, my brother and I inherited a property and want to borrow some money or something? Is that something you could do? Any of those kinds of questions, um, we're happy to answer them for you. And uh, it's at least in part why we're here. So Give us a shot here at the studio, 543-8830. Um, and if not, call up and ask Dan about how to change oil on your truck. I mean, he does, <laughs> he does it. He'll tell you the, the motor mouse dude's got like 10 calls today. So yeah. uh, maybe we should go back to talking about like blinkers and stuff. Um, stick around after this short break for more Mortgage Matters. Mortgage Matters with host Dan and Jason will be right back. 
Join the conversation by calling 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley and Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley and Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley and Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. What a state of generosity, look what my agent got for me, just by switching to State Farm. A few hundred unexpected bucks, I couldn't ask for more, but now I've got to figure out what I should use it for. A new bike would be radical, but maybe something practical, like a pet baboon with one robotic arm. Get to a better state, State Farm. Switch to State Farm and you can save. To find out more in San Luis Obispo, call Agent Susan Rodriguez. Hi, this is Jason Grody at Central Coast Lending, host of Mortgage Matters on KVEC. We recently made the jump to direct lender. That's right, now we can do your loan in-house, but we still broker too. We choose based on getting the best loan terms for you. We don't know what to call it yet, but you'll call it amazing. When you buy or refinance a home, just call 543-LOAN. Just call 543-LOAN. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast, Central Coast Lending. You're listening to Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. If you missed any part of the show, log on to centralcoastlending.com for archived shows and more. Now, back to your hosts, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending. All right, everybody, welcome back. Welcome back to the old uh, the old standards there, huh, yeah, money, money talks. Yeah. <laughs> kind of you got to throw that in. Uh, can you bring us back from the next break with Mbop? <laughs> sure. Thank you. <laughs> Why not? I Thank you. Um, I'll cue it right now. Hey, I got emailed a question during the break, and uh, it's, a, it's a decent question, so I'll, I'll bounce it off you, Dan. Um, son is living in dad's house, you know, one of dad's investment properties had the idea of, of kid living there. Um, kids making the payments on the loan there, dad's loan. He's making the payments directly to the bank. Dad's ready to deed title over to the son right now. Just going to sign it over. Um, what do you think? Wow. Um, I don't know. Not enough information to make a decision right there. These kind of things are 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 somewhat complicated in that um, when you get a loan, you sign a the trust deed that says that you're the person borrowing the money and that this is your house and that you're not going to go sign it over to somebody else arbitrarily. And the father son ones a, is one way it shows up. You know, the other way it shows up is um, married. 
you own a house or whatever, your wife owns a house, and then um, at some point, you know, it used to be your married soul and separate property, and sometimes people just elect to blend those things together, and so they'll just run on down and execute. You can print out a quick claim online where I could, um, I could quick claim from Jason Grody, a married man, soul and separate property, to. My, me and my wife as community property and go in and record that. I mean, there's nothing to prevent you from doing that. And the county recorder's office is going to honor it. Um, how does my lender feel about that? Because um, suddenly I've changed title from who they've loaned money to, to now something else that I've picked. And I've even heard stories about um, folks that made agreements to do a seller carry and reconveyed the property to another party altogether completely and then leave their loan on as they take money from their new buyer and pay the old lender. How about when you're doing a refinance or or a purchase for that matter, you take title as individuals and then transfer it to your trust after close? That's a so, pretty common one too. That's a pretty common one too. So first and foremost, I'm going to say to everybody that... Um, these things that we're talking about here are you monkeying around with title. And altogether, I want to say that um, it's just not a very good idea. I heard a story. In fact, we talked a little bit when um, when we had uh, Tom Bordenaro on the show about people monkeying around in title. And when you change vesting on your property... Um, the county is made aware of what you're doing. And sometimes you want to throw the ball from husband to wife or wife to husband or something. Sometimes it's husband and wife give it to husband's brother for a year because they have some liability issue. And then when the thing comes back because they're clear of this liability issue, county assessor shows up saying, huh, that movement that you did, you're having changed title from this party to this party, um, is causing you a new assessment as if this house is being purchased today. Um, that can have tremendous tax consequences. So first and foremost, I'd encourage people, don't monkey around in the changing of vesting unless you've been properly counseled and you understand what's going to happen with your tax base for having done so. Um, at the assessor's office, they've said straight up that you can call them and tell them what it is you're um, considering doing before you do it. Once you do it, it's done. You can't undo it. So you can tell them what you want to do before you're going to do it. Make sure you're using the right instruments and also understand whether or not that's going to create a tax event for you. Um, that's a really smart thing to do. Your question about what happens with trusts and the like is um, it's not usually a very big deal. If I'm the lender and I see that I made a loan to you and now suddenly, you know, eight years later, I check in on title. Loan's all performing. Everything's going good. I check in on title and you now have a wife on the loan. Or, or I'm sorry, not on the loan, but you have a on wife title. on title. Um, I'm not really going to come unwound about that because the original person that was obligated to the note is still actually vested as current legal owner, now sharing interest with someone else. It's understood by the time frame of that, that you and I both know that you still, under all circumstances, owe me that money and what you did hasn't changed that. I'm not gonna be too worried about it. If I came and looked into your title and found that four years ago, you'd quit claimed 
to your wife as her sole and separate property, and she's not on my loan, we have a real problem. Um, in terms of the trust, same kind of thing. You might even hear from your lender. If you if you quit claim from you guys as a married couple or you as an individual into your new uh, revocable trust or living trust, however you've set this up, and the lender checks in on vesting and finds out that you've changed it that way, they might could come forward and say, hey, um, need to review the trust. Agreement. Can we see your trust and know? Well, primarily just know that it's you, that that is your trust. Some of them, it's very clear in the title of the trust. It's going to be the Jason Grody, you know, revocable trust of 2013. Or, um, you don't have to name them that way either. It can be the, you know, the sun never sets trust. And then you go, that sounds good and everything. Um, can we just make sure that you're you're in there that, you, you know, and, and just make sure that it's going to still follow um, that same path. And so are a couple of those issues where like you're adding a spouse or adding or, or you know, tr transferring to a trust, are those things just accepted as, as normal practices and and not scrutinized as much as say when you just completely remove yourself from title by by adding someone else and then I mean yeah is that how it's viewed when yeah. when being reviewed at the it really level? is and basically what it has to do is a is a continuity of obligation but in terms of like your tax base if you go like let's just say it's my desire to get my property over to you. OK, like I I want you to have this property that I've owned since 1970. You're a swell guy. And one of the coolest things about it is that the property taxes on this million dollar property are like fifteen hundred bucks a year. And if you buy it today, they're ten thousand on that million dollar property. So how can I get you this my good buddy, this property at this good deal? Um, the county assessor, if I go in there and just add you on. They very well could say that that's, that's triggered a new event, that you weren't one of the original owners and you're not protected by Prop 13. Let's just say that we slide under the radar now and it's the two of us. And then five years down the road, um, it's like you've been on title for five years with me. Let me slip out now and just leave it with just you where you'll enjoy my tax base from 1970 not going to happen. So usually if you're adding, introducing somebody into title where the relationship doesn't make sense, um, it's, it's going to cause a tax event. If it's, if it's usually just like spouse or trust or those kind of things, not going to cause tax events. So you, it, you got to be careful about that though. And know, like I said, you got to know before you go in and do something, because we've heard horror stories about people that just take and record a deed, find a quick claim deed or an inter, inter uh, family transfer deed or whatever, sign something down, march it over to the county recorder. If you filled it out correctly and you got your 10 bucks per page, they stamp it, they record it, that's a deal. It, it may not be, everybody may not approve with it or whatever, uh, you might end up in some real trouble later, but they don't stop you there. So if you just believe that them allowing you to move forward with this made it okay, it's not the case. And um, like I said, Tom Bornaro made it very clear to us that people then go, man, well, I didn't mean to. That's not 
that's not what happened and i'm actually still the one that's just living here and let's just revert it back to the way it was and they just don't have the ability to to give you a hall pass because you made a you know an impulsive decision and cost yourself money something to be really careful with you brought up the term continuity of obligation and that's something on the lender side where if there is some transfer that's taken place um but the you know and now someone's trying to do a loan transaction but they haven't been on title for a six month period of time or greater they're not allowed to proceed with a mortgage transaction because of that continuity of obligation right they're, the lender now sees that there is some transfer that's taken place perhaps to you know skirt the you know some credit issue from the previous owner or who knows what you know there's a there's a variety of different issues or reasons that someone could transfer title like that. But on the lending side, we have to see that someone has been on title for a period of time, usually six months or greater, right. in order to engage them as the true owner of that property and conduct a, a refinance or, or some kind of loan transaction for you them. You see these guidelines get more beefed up when you go through this period like we just had with foreclosures and yeah, loan it used modifications. To, it used to be, you know, there, there used to be marketing about one day on title, yeah. you know, to do a loan, and that's completely yeah. changed now. So. In lending, uh, we're always really concerned with what what is the most recent couple years look like for you um, on a variety of fronts, and then also what do the next several years look like for you on that same path? Um, and that's why we want to see two years worth of tax returns. If you're a, you know if you're working for somebody or you've bounced around a little bit over the last couple years, you know I have a client right now that between husband and wife had had like 11 jobs in the last two years. And um, you know what, throughout that, they still saved money. They never missed a credit payment. Um, and they're pretty good at doing that. I mean, it sounds terribly stressful to me, um, but they've managed it well. And so in underwriting, I'd, I'd look at a file like that and say, well, that's just how you do it. You get bored and you're obviously employable and you jump around and I don't love that. I would rather you were on one job for 20 years. That feels more secure, but you can't just exclude somebody because they jumped around a little bit. So we like to look at the history. We like to look at what's going forward. We like to get comfortable with steady. Um, and then all of a sudden in some of these transactions, someone shows up and said, like, it, let's just say my family house, for example, here, um, maybe maybe I live there with, like, a brother and his wife and kids or something. Yeah, that happens, right? And I lose my job, but it's the house for all of us. And I was the guy that bought it and got the loan for it because I was the guy that, like, qualified the highest credit score when we were all talking about buying a house together. So we all live there and we all make the payment and everything's going on okay. And now we're in this deal where we really need to refinance. So we're sitting around the table and we're trying to figure out who can go in to refinance the house because, you know, maybe it's a loan where it's interest only or it's adjustable rate or there's a balloon. Maybe there's a second that's adjustable and we just want to get it into a fixed situation. Uh, but remember, I'm on the loan alone right now. It's just me. So in this roundtable discussion, my brother says, well, 
I've been on my job for two years now. My credit's got a lot better. So put the thing in my house tomorrow and I'll go apply for a loan. Um, wham. Do you just change that tax base for sure? Cause you monkeyed around in title and now brother walks into the bank and underwriter looks at it and goes, you can't just have uh, your brother sign you as owner yesterday and expect that we're going to give you a refinance loan today. Have you um, paid the mortgage? Like, can you even document that you're you've been a part of this thing? And and, you know, that's where that continuity of obligation comes in. And we saw it a lot with the foreclosures and short sales and loan modification. Everything that goes on is somebody around had a, a negative event probably on an investment property or their vacation home or lost their job and had a car get repossessed. There's a variety of ways this surfaces, but then they craft together that the right idea is to slap it in someone else's name and have them go on and refi it. And um, it just seldom ever works out the way they envision. So uh, I always encourage people to, um, and this is, one of the reasons why we do the show in the format that we do it is we're happy to answer the questions for you. We're always around. It's not just a total salesperson gig, but before you just start making changes where you're going to lose your tax base or because then you know what else happens, Dan, I give the house to my brother who goes into the bank and the bank says, no way, man, that ain't going to happen for six months. So then the brother comes back home and he's like, well, dude, you take it back. And now, <laughs> oh, hey, well, cool. You gave it back to me. Now, when I go get a loan, because I might be ready in two months, they go, <laughs> what happened here? Now they're on the chain of title. You gave the property to somebody else to turn around and gave it back. And now you have that same problem over again. Or we'll see it yeah. where people with their LLC, they put their property in their LLC and they're monkeying around. You mentioned that two-year look back for a variety of things, whether it's employment or income we you know receipt of of retirement proceeds you know we, we're always looking at two-year history and a likelihood of continuance one of those things is that 24-month chain of title that's a required part of that preliminary title report oh yeah so that we can see what has gone on with the ownership of this property in the last 24 and months? the best thing you can see when you're looking at that chain of title no change that <laughs> nothing changed in 24 months that means we got nobody orchestrating little funny business on it um so if you guys want to get any kind of counsel or help about any one of those issues or how to, how to navigate them, um, we're certainly around to help you do that. We got another hour of Mortgage Matters ahead of us here. We do have more to talk about, so make sure you stick around. We'd love to hear from you. Grab a coffee, do what you got to do. We'll be back in a minute with more Mortgage Matters. tuned in to Mortgage Matters, which airs every Saturday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Your hosts, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending, want you to join the conversation by calling 800-549-5832. Now, back to the show. Hey, 
I'm on record. We're on record. Jason yeah. asked for this to come back from this break. I was opposed to this for sure. This is an amazing song. And the cutest three girls. <laughs> True one hit wonder. Uh, no. <laughs> Try another gender on that. All right. Kill Hansen. <laughs> it's a great song. You don't even want to get the hook here. Uh, I was working at Top Party Radio when this came out, so <laughs> you got to listen to it a lot. Yeah, huh? Every hour. That's how he knew right where the hook was. Yeah. <laughs> Here's coming, guys. Yeah. Um. All right, people just tuning in are used to hearing the uh, economic piece of the show in the top part of the hour. And I'm just looking to see if you can do it better this hour. Summarize, how come the stock market's tanking? <laughs> it's not tanking, it's volatile. Dude, it's totally tanking. Every time I look up, it's triple-digit red. Isn't this the time of year when you're supposed to be invested? It's, it's sell in May and go away, and then sometime in the fall you get back in. But that's not how it goes. There's more rhyme to it, but yeah, you, I know the sell in May you part. You missed the like <laughs> fluidity of the rhyme, but yeah, yeah. Go away in May and then return to make some December. Hay. December. I'll, yeah, I'll try to look it up. But yeah, it, volatility's back. In case you missed the first hour, we were talking about that. A lot of this seems to be based on on global events, global. Um, or I, I guess global slowdown would be a, a good term for it. Latest news was out of Germany. Germany's, this is Europe's largest economy. Um, they've seen terrible numbers, factory orders, industrial production, exports, business confidence, all, all kinds of metrics out of Germany have been pretty negative lately. And, um, you know, Germany is where... There's a lot of machinery and cars being built and, and exported. It's it's really the core of Germany's economy. And and so that that's really dragging the whole European Union down. Um, this week, when the Fed released their minutes from their last meeting, they said that they would begin raising interest rates only when measures of the economy's health and inflation signaled the time was right. And that's not just our economy. That's in part the global economy. Um, Fed officials expressed rising worries about lackluster growth in Europe, as well as slowing growth in Japan and China. Um, they also went on to talk about how a strengthening US dollar, how there's some, there's some negatives, um, some adverse impacts that go along with a, a strengthening dollar, that US goods become more expensive overseas, so that's not great for, for selling our stuff over overseas um, and then foreign goods become cheaper here so there are some negatives to that those events can dampen inflation too which we're already running under our inflation target so there a lot of this global these global issues um, are are probably meaning that we're gonna stay the course as far as the low interest rates go for a, a good period of time here you know I'll take it uh, for a while, we've been led to believe that six months after the the purchase of, of bonds and mortgage-backed securities ends, that about six months after that was when the Fed would begin to seriously consider raising rates. Comments like these 
start to make me think that maybe it's going to be more than six months after, maybe 12, maybe 18 months before they start raising rates. And in in the old vein of what's this lever do, maybe they just need to start pushing up interest rates to see what it does. I mean, I arguably it was kind of done with a little bit of the, the bond buying stuff that they've been doing so far. Um, you know, this week there was an interesting article put out by CoreLogic. That's a, one of the vendors actually that we use. They provide for us uh, credit reports and flood certs. And CoreLogic got um, gobbled up a couple competitors, and now is pretty big firm. And I, what I, the reason I'm taking you down this road here is to understand that the bigger they get, the farther their scope of business, a little bit more reliable their data becomes um, for making some analysis of market and then even projections about what they're seeing. So CoreLogic reported that in August of 2014, home prices um, across the board, so this is including even distressed sales and stuff, increased by 6.4%. And that was year over year to the prior August. So showing us that we're still getting, you know, over 6, 6% um, year over year price appreciation um, the month over month rose to 4.2% and, and basically just showing that home appreciation has reached really about 3.4%. Um, and that's what they're calling for is that by the end of the year, we're expected that overall price appreciation is probably going to be about three and a half percent. Um, and, that's really what they're suggesting we should expect going forward. And I thought to myself, um, I'm okay with that. And, you know, I'd really like to see a little bit more building, um, like to see interest rates inch back down just a little bit more because economically I'm going to argue we're not in a much better place than we were um, how many months ago now? Six. So it was June is... It was basically 18 months ago that this taper stuff started. And if you look at where we are economically now to where we were 18 months ago, um, I'd say it, we're not clearly in a better position than we were then. I mean, obviously, we're doing a little bit better on creating jobs. We're definitely doing better on initial jobless claims um, and planned job cuts and all that kind of stuff. We're seeing more construction and things. So, okay, maybe we're doing a little bit better. Um, I don't think it'd be a terrible thing to see home prices level off to where now people aren't buying out of haste, believing that I have to buy one of these five houses for sale in this neighborhood because that's Otherwise, all there out. is and I'll miss out and then they're going to be a hundred grand more. I'd rather see people put some houses to market that go through the normal marketing time that find a find a normal buyer that understands its value and couples that with like a good plan. Um, and I do think that stable real estate values, as well as these good low interest rates, maybe we could feel that normalize a little bit. And in my, my estimation of it is here's what it's going to do. If we could strike that equilibrium, then we're going to have people that will come forward saying, Hey, um, I'll sell my house because now I'm confident that the frenzy is over and I'm going to be able to actually find a suitable replacement home and I'll sell my house because 
guy like me, I got a three and a quarter, 30 year fixed. <laughs> I really need to be able to get another three and a quarter, 30 year fixed. If I'm going to put my house on the market and buy another one, if not, I at least need to be able to get close to it. I'm not interested in, you know, getting a four and a quarter and having my payment go up by a couple hundred bucks a month. So though that little combination of things I think could be a pretty sweet little um, spot in the market. And I'm optimistic that maybe that's coming. Maybe we are going to see that as we see home appreciation come back to uh, a sane level. Yeah. And to piggyback on what you're saying here, the, the California Association of Realtors came out with their 2015 California housing market forecast. And it points to more homes on sale, so more inventory, fewer investors competing with families for those homes, and so a more normal market. What they are predicting uh, is that sales of previously owned single-family homes will rise uh, almost 6% next year, so more transactions occurring, um, which would indicate more inventory. And the the median home price will rise, they're predicting for California, a 5 roughly a 5% increase next year. Um, so that's, those are, those are good numbers. What's interesting though, is you're, you're talking about national and specifically on prices, national, um, data compiler core logic saying about a three and a half percent price appreciation, California, um, trade group saying about a 5% appreciation in California. Those both sound about right. Did you pick up on this story? Um, earlier this week, the, the CNBC has their real estate blog person, Diana Olick. She had a huge article. They made a big deal earlier this week about how um, the dreaded triple dip in housing is coming or is here. And I just oh, couldn't snore. even begin to understand where they're coming up with that. Where was the double dip? <laughs> yeah, good question. I slept through the double dip. Now I'm gonna miss the triple dip too. It feels like, like just a you know a desperate grasp for a headline or or something. It... I yeah I feel like those sensational headlines and stories that by the way, just prey on people's fear. Um, if we can freak you out about this, then maybe you'll read the article um, in hopes of finding something that says yes or no, it's true, and I have something to worry about, or no, it's not true, and I have nothing to worry about. Um, just trying to get people in there to read that stuff. Um, and, and I suppose as long as we're being honest with ourselves about the current state of real estate nationally, man, I don't know. I know a little bit about California. I know a lot more about San Luis County, a lot more. So, um, if there was a dip, I don't remember seeing it around here. And if there's a triple dip, I got to say, I think that that's kind of laughable. Um, we get, I get clients in all the time. In fact, working on a loan this week for a guy that bought a house um, just over a year ago, a year and two months ago, trying to buy a, are you talking over there? Sorry, I'm, I'm trying to. To find an article and yeah, I'm finding this article a great talking pop up about, ad. Yeah, um, but yeah. So, anyways, a house purchased in a Tascadero 14 months ago. What would you suspect has happened? Five to ten percent increase in value. Yeah. Um, I was kind of thinking flat. I was kind of thinking flat. I was kind of thinking maybe even 
Maybe even 5% down. I don't know. Somewhere in there. No, oh, you're a triple dipper. I'm not necessarily a triple dipper, but I'll tell you what I remember 14 months ago. There wasn't a lot of homes for sale. And when I saw what was for sale and what people were willing to pay for what was for sale, I worried that they might be overpaying by 5%. And if the whole real estate market is appreciating at 5% a year and you overpaid by 5%, I'd expect that you're flat. And when I looked at the sales price stuff, I thought they may have overpaid by 10%. Um, so we did a lot of homework and worked with an appraisal. And what we found out, property probably approved about 8 to 10%. So right there in the mix of a, a Tascadero, you know, what I would say is like the the median income home in a Tascadero for a single uh, family home was right in line with what all of the expectations were supposed to be. So um, when I hear all of that stuff about the double dip, and by the way, you we're past so much of the bad news that many people probably forget what a pessimist I am about most of the stuff. Um and that probably weighs into why I would suspect, you know, that something you bought a year ago could be the same or or lower value than what you paid for it and was surprised to find out that I was wrong about that. So that's fine. And I'm man enough to admit when I'm wrong. Um, I saw another little piece here. A um, couple of interesting things. One was... Uh, one of the commentaries I follow, a guy wrote in and said that he's the the tail end of the millennial generation, um, and not and, and the leading end, I should say, one of the oldest in the group. And he says that the government's trying to figure out why it is that people are um, losing a little bit of interest. That generation, the the thirty year old, twenty five to thirty year olds are, are are not buying homes the way that previous generations have. And uh, we talked about this on the show a couple times now. But um, one cool spin I saw was that um, with the way people date now on like eHarmony and Match dot com and all these things, they might find somebody that's not in their city. And if they do find love, which is a big priority for you, if you're 28 and single and feeling like your eggs are getting old and, <laughs> you know, you got to get, get her done quick and you aren't just meeting anybody at work. So you run an ad and now you find your soulmate or who might be your soulmate, that romantic idea that it exists and they're in L.A., you so screwed up by owning a house here. So this, there was one article I saw that just said that's why, um, is that the new generation doesn't want to be um, pinned down to a geographic area for employment and for dating reasons. And eh, maybe. Um, I don't know. Sure. I was, for some people, that's probably true. Uh, this guy was saying, um, not at all. Actual problem? Um, seven years ago when this dude was 24 and fresh out of college, watched the people around him, the upper level management and the business owners and the people that were moving and shaking get so backhanded by the economy and lose everything they had because of housing. Um, their super fancy house full of nice things is gone and they're rebuilding. And so as these guys have watched the regrowth cycle, they're like going, uh, I'm not positive I'm going to buy and, and open myself up to that. 
Um, maybe it's just, perhaps it's just safer um, to not. And so maybe some of that is just the wounds are fresh and you could, you knew people personally that suffered the embarrassment and everything, the failure of going through foreclosure and bankruptcy and all that and just say, um, I'm risk adverse because I don't, I don't want to have to go down that road. It seems like an extreme reaction to what I'm going to say is arguably a one-time, a once-in-a-lifetime event. Um, yeah, you, know. you don't know that it'll ever happen again? I, maybe not in my lifetime. I'm not going to say it's not going to happen again. Dude, um, so you you pushed a button a minute ago. I just, I'm sorry to interrupt you. You pushed a button a minute <laughs> ago that changed the font of your preview plane and were kind of confused. I just swiped across my mouse pad and ended up with this. <laughs> Whoa. Have you ever had this? No. Computers do too much thinking that they're thinking for you, and you don't want it to do that. No, not not at the moment. So, um, yeah, that seems like an extreme reaction to say I'm not going to buy real estate because I saw the I saw what happened to people in under the most extreme circumstances. <laughs> you know, it's it's not the norm. So, I, I mean, when you look back in history, one of the primary ways that families obtain wealth and obtain the ability to retire from working every day is by owning their home, owning their housing situation, whatever it is, without a, a payment or, or with a payment that's manageable for whatever kind of passive from income they have. Yeah. So I, I just don't understand how yeah, I was having, being a lifelong renter is the way to... Um, so I was having this conversation with a, with a client about two weeks ago that was in that boat, said... You know, well, maybe it's just better off to rent. I go, okay. I'm, I know I'm not the smartest guy in the room, but I just going to pose something for you here is, uh, let's go back 40 years because 40 years from now, um, I sure hope that we're all retired and everything, but let's go back 40 years and say a house in San Luis Obispo 40 years ago. What is that? 1970, 74. How much do you think that house rented for? Rented? Yeah, you didn't rent a house. Six hundred bucks. I I that's high. Throwing it out there. <laughs> I think it's probably two to four hundred. If you like lived on the golf course, it was four hundred. Sure. And the mortgage rates and wage growth and all those things, it was all relative then. And so if you got in to where you were buying the house, yeah, you're probably paying a little bit more in rent. We move forward 40 years, the house, if you bought it, is paid for, and the tax base is super low. The rent is through the roof from what it was. I mean, it's up by hundreds of percent. Then look at um, 40 years from now, when you and I are, are retired, um, We'll be looking back saying, oh, back in 2014, you could rent a house in San Luis for $3,000 a month. Um, that might even be the case in 10 years. But if you get a 30-year fixed, your payment doesn't change at all over those 10 years. It's just keep on keeping on. So everyone will be making more money, God willing. Um, everybody will be in a, in a better spot financially and the people that regardless of the good low interest rate, but the people that got their loan from yesteryear, um, are going to be the ones that are paying 
2500 bucks a month for that mortgage where the newcomers to the game got to pay 5000 and that to me is where the that the real estate cycle just the way that it all plays out that's where after owning real estate for 20 plus years you find yourself with the benefit of being that you paid your dues, did your time, chipped it out for long enough that now you're rewarded with a less than market rate house payment. So what do you do if you skip that? That's the part I don't ever understand. You're going to plan on being able to pay 5000 bucks a month for rent in 30 years? Yeah, see, and that's that's where when I hear the millennial talk about their, you know, the movers and shakers around them you know, five to seven years ago, losing everything. I, I got to believe that those people weren't just owning their primary residence and, you know, living a, a normal, modest lifestyle. They they were probably doing speculative things with real estate, you sure. know, part-time landlord of, of 10 fourplexes and things like that, that they just really weren't um, savvy enough to do. Th those are the guys who who really took a, a major beating, you know, some of us just bought at the wrong time and yeah, it hurt, but it shouldn't have resulted in catastrophic losses so much so that it would scare uh, 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 onlookers from <laughs> going, I'll never touch that fire. Yeah. Yeah. I agree with you. Um, at the same time, not a great case study either. I granted it's your most recent experience and your coming of age era that you saw this go down, but skip seven years before that, like take a zoom out a little bit and look at what real estate has meant to so many people and, and how it plays such a critical role into your, um, financial security later in life. I mean, most wealthy people I know typically owned at least their own house, if not a few on their way to retirement. Yeah. That doesn't seem, you know, what? I, well, I or think they inherited the more money. I think about that, the more I'm thinking about a lot of the young families, young, young, whether they're families or just single people who have bought homes in the last two years, I'm talking 20 somethings, mid 20 somethings that have bought homes. I don't think I, I that it makes me question, you know, who the respondents were to this survey. Well, this was this was just a guy being he nominated. This is one anecdotal. He nominated story. himself as like uh, the speaker typical. box for his generation yeah. because every week they every week though they write wondering why the millennials aren't buying the same way. And there's been a lot of speculation that it's because of uh, student loan debt. And how expensive it is to go to college now and how it takes so much longer to pay that off and Let save a down you payment. This. Twelve years ago when you graduated from college and were getting your first job, how many people did you know that were in your peer group that were owning homes? I knew one dude that managed to buy a house in college and I thought he was pretty legit. Um, for the most part, not many. I mean... I can think of... 10 people in the last six months, you know, just of people that I know that are in their mid twenties that have bought homes. Yeah. Just in the last six months. Yeah. There are people buying those homes and you know what, again, it's local too. I mean, you got to remember that some of this, some of these opinions come from experience of, you know, being a part of the real estate market in Omaha, Nebraska. 
Yeah, that's not that there's anything wrong with that. I'm just picking a place, but here we're a pretty progressive place, and we've got some great employers. And you know, between all of the you go running down the list between like state parks and Caltrans, the Men's Colony, Diablo, Cal Poly. Um, there's so many great employers around here, and then there's private enterprise like. Um, you know, could run on down the list like mind body and all these. There's great employment opportunities here for young people too. So maybe like when I read these stories, I always find myself, first of all, when it's in that vein of somebody telling me um, the explanation, I generally am like, I want to give it a fair critical thought. Did you, um, do I agree? Is it representative? Does it feel like it's true? And most of the time I find myself just believing that this place has just got to be different because I hear these stories about the mentalities and the opportunities and what the real estate is like. And I just, all I end up thinking every time is that, well, that's not my experience. Maybe it's because my experiences in San Luis Obispo is just so... I think that's a big part of it. Think about it. Utopian and different than where things are in, in other places. If homes appreciated next year by 5% out, you know, here in San Luis Obispo, that might mean a 25, 30, $40,000 increase in the value of the home. Whereas that home in Omaha, Nebraska, or something like that, a 5% increase in value there might represent a couple grand, 2000, $3,000. You know, that's not going to drastically change the rent situation out there or the cost to, to buy, you know, there's no real urgency Maybe in in those areas where homes aren't as here, expensive there's urgency, as they are here. isn't there? There always seems to be. Ten <laughs> percent appreciation a year is enough to make you feel like, hey, well, cool. In three years, this four hundred thousand dollar house then is going to be over five hundred grand, and if I can't afford it now, I can't afford it then. So you get people racing to sign up, you know, freaked out that they're missing the boat. There's an awful lot of that. Don't miss the boat, people. That's the point today. Um, we got a commercial break here that we got to do. It's the middle of the hour. Um, son las diez y media. What's up? Did you take French or something, dude? You don't know the... No? I, I took Spanish. All right. Then why you giggle? You don't like my accent? It's not very good. It's not. It never has been. All right, guys. We're going to do a commercial break. When we get back, we got another half an hour of Mortgage Matters, so we hope you stick around. To ask a question or make a comment, call 543-8830 or 800-549-5832. Mortgage Matters on KVEC News Talk 920. We'll be back after these messages from our sponsors. Through seven presidential administrations, bull and bear markets, and unprecedented change, Blakesley and Blakesley has been here helping residents of the Central Coast reach their financial goals. So if you need retirement advice beyond Social Security, want to roll over an old 401k, or simply seek guidance through an important financial decision, visit Blakesley and Blakesley in San Luis Obispo, Paso Robles, and Santa Maria. Blakesley and Blakesley, for the service you deserve and the advice you trust. Member FINRA and SIPC. For those of us who live here on the Central Coast, we know this is a unique place to have a home. And for over 30 years, Patterson Realty has been a vital part of San Luis Obispo County. Patterson professionals have led the way in real estate by adapting to new market conditions to make sales happen. What they offer is the quality of their people, agents working just for you. Get the experts at Patterson Realty on your side. Experience the Patterson difference. Call 544-8662 or online at pattersonrealty.com. 
The state of denial is a drag and a trial. When I bought my cheap insurance, should have known this day would come. Now I've had an accident and I'm feeling quite alone. Called them at least 20 times, but they won't pick up the phone. Without personal service, my policy's kind of worthless. Get to a better state, State Farm. Switch to State Farm and you can save. To find out more in San Luis Obispo, call agent Susan Rodriguez. Hi, this is Jason Grody at Central Coast Lending, host of Mortgage Matters on KVEC. Let me and my staff of mortgage experts help you buy your next home. We promise to close on time, on budget, with no surprises. Give Central Coast Lending a call today. When you buy or refinance a home, just call 543-LOAN. Just call 543-LOAN. We're the mortgage experts on the Central Coast. Central Coast Lending. You're tuned in to Mortgage Matters, which airs every Saturday from 9 a.m. to 11 a.m. Your hosts, Dan and Jason from Central Coast Lending, want you to join the conversation by calling 800-549-5832. Now, back to the show. doesn't sound like Hanson at all. No. Thriller. Because it's not. It's Michael Jackson. It's not. Yeah. <laughs> Did you try to sound like the Monster Mash guy? Because it's... I, yeah, I, I'm not even going to try. Give You're it a shot, try? Dan. Not. Because <laughs> it's not. I could try to sound like Vincent Price, but I don't, I don't think that'll work is. either. He's, he's not both he's like here. silent film. Yeah, he's the one Keeps that does the, the the creepy crawlers and the night thing in this song. I like how this song starts with that. Wow. The king of pop. I remember being a little kid watching that um uh, was it a? It was like a fifteen or twenty minute thing, or was it longer than that? Was yeah, it there was like a whole really? special on the production of that of well, that anyway, music video. I remember the part I saw as a kid where I shouldn't have seen any of it because that kind of stuff scared the bejesus out of me. Yeah. I saw a part where it looked like a couple and his girlfriend were trying to get alone in the night somewhere, and they ran to this place like a little cabin type of thing kind and then there was scary mortgage zombies <laughs> like coming all around and beating in the door and stuff yeah. and i i thought that was horrible yeah um yeah maybe i should watch it now it's a whole long thing Possibly. how long is it yeah it's like a movie basically yeah it was a movie about the whole making of it it was yeah. cool i remember seeing that on tv too it was but like was a it prime just time the video TV was it just like the music video it was the making of the music video huh. yeah whatever yeah it was pretty cool Good times. Mm. Um, I, I so we've been sitting here talking chew, about those millennials, chewing the fat about these young kids not knowing what the heck they're doing. Um, you brought up uh, during the break, said, "How about talking about the new program?" Yeah, yeah. There's our monthly marketing effort is, is for October's all about a loan that we've crafted to help with the middle income buyer here in San Luis Obispo County get a more affordable mortgage. 
reduced mortgage insurance, uh, you know, 5% minimum down minimum payment. Minimum down payment. It, you know, it works for middle credit scores. You don't have to have perfect credit. You know, a lot of people coming out of school and stuff like that have, you know, weren't as responsible maybe as they should be. And, and so they might not have the 750, 760 credit score that a lot of loan programs want. Um, so this accommodates that middle credit, middle income. I think the cap on the income is about $107,000 a year. So for a nice young couple, that's a, a, a reasonable income to qualify under. Um, and, you know, like I said, mortgage insurance is reduced. The mortgage insurance is not like FHA, where it can actually be canceled when you have enough equity in your home. Uh, we're calling it the workforce um, home loan. Right. I do. I think it's a good answer um, for a few different people. First of all, saving 5% for a purchase loan, that's that's a pretty good amount of savings. I mean, it, yeah, granted it's no 20% like we should all we should all be able to put our heads down and save 20%, but hey, when your first house is going to be half a million bucks, saving up 100 grand is not an easy task. Um, saving up 5% still, um, that's actually pretty legitimate to be able to save $25,000 to put towards buying a home. And so when we look at that, um, it's only 5% down payment. And um, it, so it fills in a gap for some of those people. And, and what it really does, I think, is um, it's like USDA kind of, um, where it's for the affordable people. It has an income cap on it. But the biggest thing is that there's not a geographic restriction to it. So it works in all parts of the county. In fact, it works so emphatically everywhere that we don't even need to talk about that. It's just if you make under the income cap, then you're in. And it works for both purchase and refi. So I want to talk a little bit more about the refinance option of that, but we do have a phone call that I want to get to. So good morning, Leslie from San Luis. Uh, good morning. Thank you so much for taking my call. I try to listen to your show whenever I can on a Saturday in my car, and I really enjoy it, and I always learn something. Cool. So thank you for doing this. I, I have a couple of kind of stupid questions, but maybe you could help me with them anyway. Absolutely. Uh, I think one reason that kids aren't buying houses is, as you say, they've got a lot of college debt and they're getting married later and everything, and it's just so expensive to live in California. Um, you know, it's, it's no matter what the loans are, they, they just can't afford it, literally. Um, the other question I had, and this sort of relates to that, is it's, it's so difficult for these kids to save money for a down payment, no matter what. And uh, a few years ago, there was a guy locally who would run for Congress named Matt Kokanen. Um, maybe some of you have heard of him. And he had what I thought was a brilliant idea, and that was to not take out any income taxes from kids until the year they turned, say, 25. The idea being they would have more in their paycheck every week or every month that they could actually use to either save or to spend uh, to help them get through college or if they're making you know minimum wage jobs right out of high school, that they could actually have more money to live on. It would effectively be a stimulus without really costing taxpayers anything. And then by the time they turned 25, the year in which they turned 25, they would start having income taxes deducted and they would start actually paying income taxes. Now, mind you, most kids that are that young probably get a refund anyway. They file a standard form. They don't have any deductions. They don't make enough money. But the goal was to kind of create an incentive for kids to be able to work more and make more money. And, 
you know, at that age, they're either trying to put themselves through school or they're just starting out and maybe just getting married, and they're actually buying stuff like stereos and furniture and stuff that all us old folks don't really need anymore. We're trying to get rid of that, John. <laughs> I was just kind of curious, you know, what you thought we could do in the way of maybe changing this tax structure somehow so we could try and encourage kids to either save money or make these things more available to them. And I know part of it is just being in California. It's so expensive here. Yeah. Uh, you know, you one, know. Th- one thing about this that's really interesting, Leslie, is that um, last year... 14% of all home buyers um, and 24% of first time home buyers got cash from family to buy their house. Yeah. So, and you know, that, that position that we arrive in kind of in life, once you're a little bit more established and you're not having all those purchases and the student loans are kind of paid off and you're now like we're saving for kids for college in that era um, you have that benefit of having equity and that kind of thing. So the first most obvious thing to me is say that more parents and grandparents need, if your kids are here in California and you want them here by you and you want them here long-term, you probably got to join the masses of figuring out how to help give them that money. Cause otherwise, I mean, how, how realistic is it to believe that a kid getting out of college with everything they face is going to be able to save up like this program we're talking about right now, 5% in our County. I mean, that's still 25,000 bucks of after everything's said and done, you've saved 25 grand. Um, and imagine how long it takes to save that. And then you're going to spend it all in one shot to have no savings. I think if Uh anything else too, a lot of these kids that are able to save that money, they want to keep saving. You have to be addicted to saving and really enjoy the comfort of having that saving. So I'm not positive what the answer is there besides, um, you know, like I'm hoping to be in a position when my kids are buying homes that I can um, bribe them into staying near me with gift funds for down payment. Um, mm-hmm. Otherwise, well, you know, I think... what I'm looking at, too. My, my daughter bought a house in Texas for eighty five dollars or $95,000. And, you know, they have a payment that's less than what you would pay for a one-bedroom apartment here. So yep. how can I ever expect her to move back to California where they can live pretty comfortably in a three-bedroom house for under $100,000? Yeah, it sounds like maybe you just you know? need to pack your stuff and join her in Texas. Well, I may do that. And then I have another question, if, if, if you don't mind. Sure. Um, I know that there is a law that says that if you were over 55, uh, which I am, and I want to move to a smaller house, I have a four-bedroom yeah. house, which I obviously don't need anymore, I can buy something and um, keep my low tax basis from when I bought this house 20 years ago. Yep. Um, it's a one-time thing for California seniors, the idea being to benefit folks like me who want to downsize, but who cannot afford, you know, the price of taxes on, say, a house that's now six hundred or seven hundred thousand dollars. My my question is: Is that good only from county to county uh, within the county, or does that go like from county to county? For instance, in, my son is down in Orange County, and if I didn't move to Texas, I'd love to live down there closer to him. My understanding of it is that it's just in the county that you're transferring your actual tax base in. And I, I do, uh, it'd be a great question to ask of the um, assessor's office, but um, I know it's both for seniors, it's also for people that are permanently disabled, too, if, you, if anybody out there has that thing. But yeah, basically, if you're 55 or older... 
um, or you're severely or permanently disabled, then you can, within six months of selling your house, buy a new house that's of equal or lesser value and they'll move your tax base over. Um, To my knowledge, though, it must be within the county um, Uh that you owned your original property in. And we'll look into that, too. I hope that I'm not wrong about it since I'm claiming it over the air here. Um, But again, that's something that we can call the assessor's office and find out the, the straight answer of. Well, I, I can do that, too. I just figured I heard you on the radio, and I would give you a call. <laughs> yeah. But um, thank you. Thank you so much, and please keep up the good work. I enjoy listening to your show, and I always do learn something from Thanks, it. Thanks, Leslie. Appreciate it. You know, I I don't know that it's restricted by county. I think the the issue is what Leslie mentioned, which is a downsizing. You That's Correct. the key. Like, buying either at the same similar value to your home currently or something smaller. You can't transfer your tax base by moving from a $600,000 home to a million dollar home. Right. That's you not allowed. You built the mansion on the hill and want your good tax the base. The idea is downsizing. I'm looking this issue up right now and I'm not seeing that there's a a geographic restriction. It's a California um, a, a California thing. So it, it but it, we'll continue to look into that and see if we can get an update on that. We have another call caller waiting on the line here. We've got Mike in Atascadero. Morning, Mike. Welcome to Mortgage Matters. Yeah, hi, guys. How you all doing? Good. How about yourself? Hey, I'm doing fine. Um, what's the median home price in the county right now? I want to say it's right around 450 Okay, because we were just looking at a publication and saying that the median home price in um, in some areas of California was was pretty high, and it was right around the figure you just gave me. You know, so um, you know that makes it tough for down near anybody. Um, but specifically speaking of younger people, um, you know, um, my son and daughter-in-law are in their early 30s, which is, you always used to be prime home buying age. They live in Seattle, and um, uh, they, they couldn't afford a, um, a house to you know. A, go to the moon on, you know, um, they, they're totally convinced that they're never going to be able to buy a house. There's been a big tech boom up there and like Silicon Valley North, you know, and so, um, they're building a lot of expensive apartment buildings and stuff like that. And they're pushing out, um, you know, a lot of, uh, middle income and, and working uh, type folks. And, um, my daughter and son-in-law just happened to, you know, luck out and, and get a really nice apartment from from a woman who put an investment in it, and isn't going to be, isn't going to, he's not going to reoccupy it for ten years. So, uh, but that's just a rental, and and um, you know, and they're they're going to have a child in December, and you know the, the, you know what comes first, you know, it's always like, oh, you're supposed to save for retirement. Well, how can anybody, you know, who's two, you know, twenty six years old, save for retirement? It's ridiculous. The first thing you got to you have to get is a is a is a is a good car, you know, and and you know then you if you got college debt you you got to deal with that. I mean, um, I don't know what legislatively why they don't deal with that like 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 this like this one um, pro, uh, thing on the ballot, Governor Brown's uh, thing about the rainy day fund. It's so austere, you know, that that no money is spent on on anything helping the state, and and so like in, instead of you know. Saving all this money was to save some, but you know, reduce the cost of college. But there's not not even any talk about it at all. 
and and um, and most of the college debt goes to these crooked private colleges. Right. And and um, and and so you know they they, they you know they, they contribute to congressmen and so forth. And that's the usual corruption. And and you know there's no thought really to the future. It's only how much money can we make in the present. And and you know I went to college and I worked my way through college. It took took five years and and um, you know um, but. But um, I, I got out of there with no debt, um, and you know um, they only uh, only started really starting hitting hitting kids with debt in the '80s, and um, you know I don't see I don't see you know it, it seems to me that that the real estate industry ought to be very very active in reducing the cost of college. They are they are. In fact, this year I'd have to say I've never seen more articles about the significance of student loan debt than what we're seeing come out right now. And, it, and it's all it's all being driven by uh, basically the National Association of Realtors and then each of the state boards frustrated that um, this is what the impact of that extra college debt is having. I mean, we're I I ended up I've been out of school now for 12 years, as Dan just said, which means I only have 18 years to go on my student loans. Um, I'm going to have a kid in college myself in six years, so I'm going to have a, about a 12-year overlap where I'll be paying for my own student loans and then probably helping pay with my oldest son's student loans. I mean, it's just the kind of thing where yeah, I don't see the end in sight. Prison, you know? It's it's terribly expensive, and you know. But then at, at the same time, it's what's the alternative to to boycott well, the college well, system look, 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 and look, uh, um, you know. Um, uh, part of this is that uh, you know Sally May, the the uh, biggest participant in this, and um, uh, you know they've got the most influence in Congress and so forth. But but um, they arranged it so that so that it's the only debt that you cannot discharge in bankruptcy. Yeah. And and so why why why? I mean, you can have corporations um, discharge their debt in bankruptcy over and over again. There's been car- corporations that have done it twice. Uh, yeah, uh, Donald Trump has bankrupted like a half a dozen companies, um, some twice. I know, and so it's you and know, still it, you is know, rich again. To who's got the power? And how do they use it to aggregate all the money for themselves at the expense of all the rest of us? Yep. So it, it's it's it, it's part of a larger issue, but. But to me, you know, uh, you know, I, I have believe in I believe in home ownership. It gives people a stake, you know, and and uh, you know, it, the more more people more, more people have a stake, the better a community it is office. Well, and I think yeah, exactly, and it makes everything about our our cities, our neighborhoods, our cities, our counties, our states are just better with more home ownership. That's a Absolutely. fact, and you know, in these cases, it. I maybe there is some creative option out there. I mean, I I recognize a lot of people come into my office with student loans that um, end up going to work for certain jobs in the state. Where once you put in ten years worth of service, they'll um, waive the balance of the, your student loans. I don't know if you guys have yeah. ever heard of this program. Yeah, yeah. But, Bernie Sanders, the senator yeah. from, from from Vermont, he's tried to do that on the on the uh, national level. And, yeah, and he's, he's never gotten anywhere with it. Um, but um, you know, it's that that's part of it. But but my question is, why should there be these expensive student loans in the first place? I mean, it's an investment, right? It's an investment, just like it's an investment in a road or a or you know an airport or whatever. Because you know, you, know, you if you 
if, if you've got pe- people who are held down by debt that they can't discharge even in bankruptcy, and then you're saying it becomes generational, you know, it's almost like debtor's prison, you know? It's oh, like yeah. You, you can't get out of it. And what good does that do to the country, you know? And what, in, 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 uh, uh, you know, it, it, it becomes a long-term pro- pro- problem, and it just seems to me that, uh, you know, you know, it's weird because, you know, the real estate interest groups are, are usually allied with the Republicans, and and yet yet um, the the people who uh, you know really want to get this done done and t- taken care of are usually more liberal Democrats. Mm-hmm. And if if, if um, it, you know there could be a coalition built in the, in, the, in the Congress just on this one issue, um, you know, and, and there could be could be ways to, to deal with it that way. And, and and also to get rid of this ridiculous assumption that you can't discharge it and, you know, that you're stuck with it for the rest of your life. And, um, you know, they'll... That's pretty wild. That's the one thing. I mean, I... I could make some pretty sound arguments to it that yeah, college should cost some money, and you it should there should be a bar, you know, sort of a barrier to entry to vet out the people that are serious from the people that aren't, and you should be able to borrow to make it happen if you don't come from a family that has the resources to put you through, all that stuff. But the one part where I just it feels totally egregious to me is that you might rack up some debt and then find yourself in a position where you're unable to work in the field where you're straddled with oh, yes. hundreds and hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of debt. And then well, what? they keep saying also that there's the, that all oh, we don't have enough engineers in this country and, and under this, this HB, H1B virus, virus, excuse me, H1B legislation, they bring all these engineers from overseas. And, and and they say that, that they don't have enough here. Well, they do have enough engineers in, in this in, in this country. It's just that they want cheap labor. Right. And, and so uh, you know. And so there again, you lose the possibility of people having good jobs that that allow them to go out there and, and buy homes. I mean, it's almost like there's a, a, a I don't know some kind of. Um, Undershift in this in, in this country that's turning into something completely different from 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 what I knew, and uh, uh, it it um, you know it's it's like they're it's like they're giving people no chance at all right. to, to to get anywhere, and and so it's like they they make more people poor. So I mean I, I would really urge the the, the realtors to. And start pressing to lobby on and, yeah. and to build coalitions with people who who they are normally uh, allied with. Yeah. You know, All right, Mike. Kay, uh, thanks. Because, Thank you very much for your call yeah. today and and for the conversation. Um, great points. And yeah, I I know for sure we're working on that on at least the real estate side. The realtors are lobbying heavy to try to get some change made there, and hopefully they will. I'm. Uh, before we run out of time here, I want to answer Leslie's question about the property tax transfer. I found that more information about it here while we were um, while we were she was off the air. Prop sixty is the proposition that allows for this one-time transfer for homeowners who want to downsize but don't want to give up their um, property tax base. It's for fifty-five years and older. It has to be within the same county or one of eight counties that accept transfers from other counties. So that San Luis Obispo is not one of those counties that accepts counties from outside, but she mentioned Southern California. The eight counties that will uh, accept a transfer from another county are Alameda, El Dorado, 
Los Angeles, Orange, San Diego, San Mateo, Santa Clara, and Ventura. So a lot of those Bay Area and Southern California, like the, the big um, population hubs there, seem to accept out-of-county transfers of, of the tax base. Very cool. So that is cool. The other thing is that the replacement home can actually, it doesn't have to be less than, it can be um, 105% or less than the value of the original home if the new home is being purchased within one year of the sale of the other home, or 110% of the first home's value if the replacement home is being purchased in the second year. So just a little more clarification on that rule. Excellente. Thanks, Dan. It's out there. Just, some people could actually craft some plans around that if you wanted to move. I mean, the, the tax becomes a big deal. Uh, I have uh, one client I was working with last week where we were talking about couldn't refinance the loan. Just it can't be done. But they could qualify for a new purchase loan. Primary reason the refi won't work was loan limit problems with the amount of equity they had. They needed to borrow more than the loan limits would allow. But if it was a purchase and they bought a house that was $50,000 cheaper, it would work. Uh, and what we found out is that the taxes um, for the house they're in now, basically to buy a house for fifty grand less than the house they're in now, their property tax would go from like 250 bucks a month to 700 bucks a month by way of... Um, Prop 13, it, you end up kind of with your hands tied that you need to stay put in the house that you're in now. I mean, it's just a, um, and they weren't yet 55 to transfer. We explored that too. But anyway, um, great show today. Uh, thanks much for our callers calling in and participating. We even had a couple phone calls that we didn't have time to get to. So, oh, sorry about that. Call us next week. We'll, we'll be here next week. In fact, we do this every Saturday. Um, I want to invite you guys, though. I hope you get the taste of it. Um, Dan and I are both uh, very easy to talk to. We're not salesmen. We know an awful lot about lending and, and just want to help you. Call us this week. Let us help you. It's the whole culture of our business is to serve you with our knowledge and expertise without pinching you or making you feel squeezed. So hit us up, 543-LOAN, which is 543-5626, or the web, centralcoastlending.com.